are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by Kim Mundy, a Senior Economist in our International Economics team. Kim, good to have you on. Hi Belinda, great to be back with you, if not still at a distance. Yes, that, that is true. And it's also nice to take a break from what is happening in the Australian economy and mm. the impact of the lockdowns and talk about what we think is obviously a important and growing issue out there that's impacting on a number of different facets of the global economy as well as financial markets and the climate is how we are currently pricing greenhouse gas emissions and, and where that's likely to lead in the future. Now, this is all part of our sustainable economics thematic work that we have been doing. We've touched on this in a number of podcasts over the past year or so. With mm. yourself, with our Head of International Economics, Joe Caperso, with our Mining and Energy Analyst, Vivek Dar as well. But why are we talking about pricing greenhouse gas emissions and, and why you've written a very extensive report on the subject? It's sort of all boiling down to, I guess, the same issue is that we are increasingly seeing consumers, investors, external demand. We've seen the the preferences, the demand changing, um, and and people are increasingly wanting to see more action from businesses on reducing climate change risks. And it really is having an impact on financial markets, on the pricing of financial mar- market instruments that poses risks for certain economies based on their structure. And so, you know, given we're analysts, we want to be paying close attention to anything that is a risk for either financial markets or economy. Yes, and I think also what we've seen over recent years in particular is that the perceived risk of climate change, which has always been in the future, is actually more in the now. So I think that's also led to some increased focus on not only climate change but how it can be mitigated, and that's obviously through carbon emissions. Now, in your report, you do talk about pricing greenhouse gas emissions and it's more than just carbon dioxide isn't it? Yeah it is and I mean if you look back over time carbon dioxide was initially sort of the main uh, greenhouse gas that scientists were arguing arguing, um, contributes to rising temperatures but over time we've realised that actually there's a whole host of gases that contribute to climate change. So Today, emissions are most commonly measured uh, per metric ton of carbon dioxide equivalent, mm. and that equivalent really just accounts, accounts for the broader spectrum of greenhouse gases and their different warming potentials. Now, we're going to talk about one of my favourite economist terms in a minute, and that's negative externalities, <laughs> which I loved uh, seeing in your report. Now, why do we need to put a price on these emissions? Well, you really just hit the nail on the head there. The, the impact of uh, greenhouse gas emissions on the planet is what 
economists refer to as a negative externality. So there's a cost associated with these emissions. It's not being borne directly by either the producer or the consumer of the emissions. So when you put a price on those emissions, that can really internalize the negative externality. And Mm -hmm. as economists, we know that pricing signals can be a really strong driver of changes in behavior, such as reducing emissions. So essentially, businesses have to decide whether they want to continue with their emissions intensive activity and pay it or reduce their costs by reducing their emissions. So I was really interested to see that Finland and Poland were the first countries to introduce carbon prices all the way back in 1990. And since then, we've obviously seen more and more countries put together emission pricing initiatives, but there are seems there's two commonly used systems for pricing greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the first is an emissions trading scheme. How does that system work? Yeah, so under a a cap-and-trade style emissions trading scheme, or BTS as as we like to call them, the level of emissions that are allowed is capped. So there's a fixed number of units that are distributed. They're either auctioned or allocated to businesses who are captured under the scheme. And then those businesses must surrender one unit for every ton of emissions that they produce. Now, if these businesses don't have enough units to cover their emissions, they have to purchase more or they face a financial penalty. Um, Surplus units are often traded in what are known as carbon markets. And that's where lower emitters who might have surplus units can profit because they can sell their excess units to businesses who are looking to purchase more because they have higher emissions. The price of units here is really driven by supply and demand, but Mm. also the regulatory environment, and that's really important to remember. So if governments lower the cap, um, but they don't increase the units available, then essentially the cost of emitting rises all other things equal. Now, there's a second system, and that's the carbon tax system. So how does that system work? So that differs slightly because under a carbon tax system, the price of emissions is actually fixed. Mm. Instead, it's the quantity of emissions that's flexible. But similar to the other, similar to an ETS, businesses can lower the cost burden they face. In this case, the cost burden is a tax by lowering their emissions. So it seems that the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement was really a... I guess, a a catalyst for increased global action against climate change. Mm. That was where countries under that agreement pledged to collectively limit temperature increases to around one and a half to two degrees above pre-industrial levels. And certainly in the Mm -hmm. past year or so, we have seen more countries commit to net zero by 2050 or, or some maybe 2060. Some have made no commitments at all. Why was that kind of a step change and what do you think that's going to lead to changes in terms of um, pricing schemes? Yeah, so the carbon agreement has really um, spurred activity and and you've had a whole lot of countries come together and say, hey, look, we are going to do something about that, um, about this. And actually what we've seen is since the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, the number of pricing carbon or emissions pricing initiatives around the world has jumped. So it's jumped from 37 in 2015 to 64 as at today in 2021. I think the one thing that really stands out though is despite this, emissions globally are still rising. Mm. 
So we've identified two possible issues at play. First, you've got uh, the fact that the scope of emissions being priced is too narrow. You've only got about just over 20% of global emissions are covered under these current pricing schemes. And second, the price of emissions is too low. So businesses are really only incentivized to switch to a lower emissions alternative if it costs less to do so than paying the emissions price. All right, so there seems to me that there's obviously been a lot of change since the Paris Agreement, but prices for carbon emissions are still too low according to these trading systems and also this the coverage is not broad enough yet. Yes, absolutely. But I think one thing that stands out in the note is that we do have reason to believe that this will change over time. So as you mentioned earlier, climate change is no longer a future risk mm. and this is really increasing that urgency to act. And at the same time, the Paris Agreement's relatively tight time frame of reaching net zero by 2050 just adds to this uh, sense of urgency to reduce emissions quickly. So the next uh, UN climate change conference later this year, in our view, could be a catalyst for a, a sort of near-term lift in uh, emissions prices because the UK, who are hosting that meeting, are asking countries to come forward with ambitious 2030 emission reduction targets. We've seen the EU, for example, already broaden its ETS ahead of the meeting and uh, we've already seen a price response to that as well. Given most of our listeners are in Australia and, and what is the impact or possible impact on Australia from all of this? Yeah, so you kind of have to start by looking at what sort of carbon price uh, scheme Australia is running. Now, Australia doesn't have an ETS or a carbon tax, but it does have a carbon crediting mechanism. This is just a system that provides businesses with a carbon credit for any activity that sort of avoids or sequesters um, emissions. These units are called Australian Carbon Credit Units, or ACCU. Um, at the same time, Australia's largest, largest emitters must avoid increases in emissions above businesses' usual levels, and if they are going to emit higher than that, they can purchase these ACCUs to offset any emissions. I think one thing that does stand out, though, is that there is a risk that uh, some of Australia's carbon-intensive exports could be captured under other countries' carbon tariffs if they were implemented. So the EU has announced that it will implement a carbon border adjustment mechanism in the coming years. And only countries with an ETS, which is fully integrated into the EU's ETS, or have agreed to link it to the EU's ETS, are exempt from paying that tariff. So given Australia doesn't have either of those, it suggests that Australia would have to, Australian exports would have to pay that tariff. Um, but it's also worth remembering that Australia is actually well positioned to integrate itself into, you know, some of those green supply chains, things like electric vehicles, mm. renewable energy and batteries. So there are there are opportunities as well. Kim, it's been fascinating to get that insight as to what is evolving in terms of the carbon trading space and what else needs to happen, I guess, to continue to progress this issue and the risks and opportunity for Australia. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me, Belinda. 
Now, you can read Kim Mundy's report on pricing greenhouse gas emissions, a global overview, which was published on the 5th of August 2021 on combankresearch.com.au.